Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. If you will go ahead and meet me in Acts chapter 4, that's what we'll be. This morning, we're going to continue in our Committed series. Everybody been enjoying Committed? Some of you are new, don't know what that is. This is a series where we have started this new year where everything that's going on around us, things are happening in our lives. We're seeing news, we have social media, and we're in a 21-day fast. The reality is that there's so many things that we can be committed to. We want to make sure as believers and as a church, we're committed to the right things. And so uh, Pastor Steve jumped us off with prayer and fasting the first week. Last week, I talked about being committed to the gospel. And today, we're going to talk about being committed to generosity. And I'm going to talk about uh, quite a few things today as I preach. Um, and, and so if you don't have notes, if you got notes, pull it out because we're going to I want you all to take notes, but I also want you to amen. So don't don't amen with, with your notes. I can't hear you right. And I need to hear you. I need to hear the amens, too. Um, but we're going to talk about this uh, in depth because I want us, number one, to always be known as a, a generous church. I want us to be known as a generous church. And number two, I want all of us individually to know how to steward what God has given us well. And number three, I want us to imagine what God could do if we all gave sacrificially and willingly of our lives, talents, and our treasures. Amen? Acts chapter 4, we'll be there this morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead and stand on your feet with me. Um, join me in the reading of God's words. Acts chapter 4, um, we're going to start in verse 32. you got to go ahead and say, got it. Here now the reading of God's word. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged was his own. But they had everything in common. Everyone say common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection. And great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and he laid it at the apostles feet the very word of God amen today again I want to preach on the topic committed to generosity let's pray before we go any further committed to generosity father thank you for this morning thank you for your goodness thank you God for you being first generous with us God we do ask right now as I ask each week that you would hide me behind your cross that you would be lifted up in this place. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase. We need to hear from you, Father. So it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray all these things and everyone said together, amen, amen. You can take a seat. <clears throat> now, as we enter in today in our word, the, ger the, the word generosity, when I mentioned it, I, I, I imagine many of you started to 
squirm a little bit in your seats. Just cringe a bit. Because many times when we mention generosity, immediately we think about money. And we don't like to talk about money in the church. But generosity, hear me, has to do with far more than just your treasure. It's much more than that. It, it, it's about how we steward all that God has given us. That's not only our money, but that's our entire lives. And with that, the Bible says, hear me, in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. And I'm a firm believer that if your treasure is with God or if your treasure is God, then you will hold loosely to the things that you have here on this earth or you'll give willingly and sacrificially, namely, you'll be a generous person. But if you struggle with generosity, as we walk through this text today, my hope is, hear me, not to coerce you to give. It's not to force you to give, but more so to question, where's your heart this morning? In other words, who or what is your treasure? Who or what is your treasure? Now with this, God talks about money in the Bible almost more than anything else in the Scripture. Uh, money and possessions and how we steward it is the second most referenced topic in the Bible, re Bible referenced about 800 times next to the kingdom of God. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. Simply put, God cares how we steward our money. And here's why. Because the money or the, the love of money, everybody say love. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not the money, it's the, the love of money. And y'all, people in America, they'll do whatever it takes to get some money. Y'all know this, we'll rob, we'll steal, we'll kill, we'll sell our next of kin, we'll chop our hand off and give it to somebody. No joke, I was uh, with my wife and she was telling me that, I thought she was joking with me, and she said, babe, I got to show you something. There's this celebrity online who literally is farting in a jar and selling it. Y'all thought I stuttered. <laughs> she takes a mason jar, puts it right here, and, and closes it up, and people are buying it for hundreds of dollars. Y'all think I'm playing. Google it. <laughs> we'll do some crazy things with our money and to get money. Now, don't y'all try it. I bet y'all ain't going to get hundreds of dollars if y'all try to sell your farts. I'm trying to tell you. That's crazy. But hear me. In reality, joking with this a bit, but this is a tough topic to talk about in church. Because people hate to be told to do with anything with their money. Notice I said there. And in reality, if you saw my notes, you would see that it's in quotations because there is in quotes because everything we have and everything in this earth, is, it really belongs to God, not us. But this gets harder the more resources you have. 
Because the more you have, the more you're like, man, I, 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 it, it starts to breed in you this, this pride. It starts to, to breed in you this, this power idol, this status, and it's a belief because I have more than the person next to me. Therefore, somehow, you might not even say it out loud, somehow I must be better than that person. Or I'm over here on the other side of the fence, and now that I have all of this, I can't really learn from anybody else. It's pride. So hear me. We live in a world where money makes the world go round, and as your pastor and elder here at this church, I am biblically bound to help you understand biblically what the Bible calls for you to, and how you should steward not only your money, but your life and your resources. So hear me. This ain't just a sermon about telling you to tithe. This is not what this is about. Generosity is way bigger than that. I want you to go away from this sermon today, knowing that generosity calls me to give to the poor. It calls me, it calls me to serve. It calls me to think plainly less about myself and more about God and others. That's generosity. See, believers are called to be generous with our resources because God has been nothing but generous to us. You don't believe me. Hear me, hear me. When God formed us out of the dust of the earth, when he took Adam and he blew breath into Adam, and after that all men and women were formed in the image of God, hear me, God didn't have to do that, but he chose to. That's generosity. When Jesus came down and he died for our sins and made a way back to God, Jesus didn't have to do that, but he did. That's generosity. When you believed and put your faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and by believing in him, you now receive eternal life, not just life here, but eternal life. Jesus didn't have to make a pathway back to God through his death, but he did. That's generosity. Better yet, this last week or this last month, God didn't have to get you out of that tough situation. He didn't have to meet you right in the middle of your sorrow, but he chose to. That's generosity. Hear me, God has been nothing but generous to you and I all throughout Scripture and even in our lives. And therefore, as believers, we in turn are to do the same thing and be generous. So today I got three different points with you and I'm out your way. Number one, the church is to be generous and take care of one another. Number two, believers are to give sacrificially and willing. Make sure your deed matches your word. Number three, believers trust their leaders and give. They trust their leaders with their giving. Now, as we jump into this passage today, uh, the context around the passage, it comes earlier in chapter 4. We've got to go to school a bit. Uh, Peter and John, uh, the two apostles, they're being persecuted for preaching Jesus' name and and they're not supposed to do this anymore because the Pharisees and the council don't want this anymore. They're, they're trying to divert attention back to them. Now, what happened before that, before they're, as they're going around preaching, there's this man that's sitting at the gate, and he's asking for alms. This was a typical thing uh, for folks that were impoverished. They needed money. They would sit at the gate, and they would ask for alms. Now, alms, as I, I've told you before, hear me, I want to break this down a little bit for you because some of you may have missed this. There's three different ways that the believer is told to give throughout, a, throughout Scripture. There's the tithe, there's an offering, and there's an alms. They're all different. The tithe, we're commanded in Scripture to give 10% of our salary to the local church. That's in the Old Testament. We see that. We're commanded to give that 10% as believers to the local church for the good and the glory of the kingdom. Then there's an offering, 
that's above and beyond your 10%. That offering now, that's where you give to missionaries, you give to nonprofits, you give to other organizations, you give to charities, you give to the Engage Renewal Campaign, which is above and beyond your tithe. They are not the same thing. That's an above or on top of your normal giving. And then lastly, you see in this text, you see alms, which is money or items that's given to the poor. Three different types of giving, tithe, offering, and alms. And hear me again, they are not the same thing. So hear me, don't give to the poor and say you gave to the church. Don't, don't, don't give to the mission organization and say that was my tithe. Now, I, I, I used to be a missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ, and every time I sat with somebody to raise support on, for my mission, I would tell them, look, please do not take away from your tithe from your local church. I am a parish, I'm part of a parachurch ministry. This is not the church. We work alongside the church. So give to the church and then give above and beyond to me. I work with the church. I'm not the church. We're parachurch. Hear me. This is why this distinction, some of y'all looking at me, I'm glad you're looking at me and you're keyed in on this. This distinction is very important and necessary because as you'll see in this text today, the church is supposed to give to all three of these places. But the church cannot give if we all are individually spreading out our tithe and our giving. Y'all with me? Because now what happens is because of this, the church can't even support itself. And then Christians, I'm not talking about people in the world and outside of these doors. Christians start saying, why you ain't giving to this? Why are we not giving to this? Why can't we do this? Well, we can't do it because nobody's giving. And here's a reality. And this isn't just renewal, but in today's age, we believe somehow the church doesn't need money anymore. Like at the end of the rainbow, there's some golden pot like a leprechaun, and we can just pull out money whenever we need it, and we can give here, and we can give here, and we can give that. That ain't the case. If we don't give, the church doesn't function. The church can't go forward. The church has always, don't miss this, has always been able to be present and generous in communities because of the gifts of the body, the people. This was true before Jesus was on earth. This is true when Jesus walked the earth. It's true now, and it will always be true. As Christians... As seen here in the book of Acts today, when people give generously of what they have, the church, hear me, is able to meet everybody's needs. Family, again, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Let us always, and I say always because many of us have been generous during this pandemic, and we've helped people, and our groups have been helping each other, and there's been needs that have been met. But I don't want it to just be in the pandemic that we're generous. Let us always be known as a generous church where everybody's needs are met. Not because I'm asking you to, but because the Lord Jesus has shown an immense amount of grace on our behalf when he saved us. That's why we give. Y'all missed your amen. Hopefully y'all with me. See, we want others to experience the same joy, the same love, the same satisfaction, the same peace and the same redemption through Jesus Christ. We want people to come in that same saving relationship. And most of the time that happens in the local body. That happens in the local church. This is why we're so passionate about church planning here at our church. This is why we give to the Chicago Partnership, Acts 29, Orchard Group. And we're seeing churches planted all over the world and throughout the nation. And hopefully we're going to see one here soon coming out of renewal right here as a local body. Because here's the reality. There are many people that won't come down to 
1950 West 13th Street and come to a 9 a.m. or 11 o'clock service. But if we put a church in their location, what happens? They go. They go. Statistically, more people, the most people come to know Jesus through a new church, a new place that's planted, a new work of God in a new area. And we want to see people met with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, hear me with all of that. This is why your giving matters. How you give matters. Now, back to the context as I went on a rabbit trail. Hear me. The, the man here, he's asking for alms. And, and Peter and John, they say, we don't have any alms, but we, we'll, we'll heal you. They, so they heal the man in the name of Jesus. And now this man who has been lame for over 40 years is able to get up and he starts walking. It's a miracle. And the council and the Pharisees around, they don't want to see this. They hate that this just happened in Jesus' name. So they try to divert attention back to themselves. And Peter and John are like, no, 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 no. That's not how this goes. This is about Jesus. This isn't about y'all. And so they leave and they run away, not because they're afraid, but because in the midst of all of that being perfect, persecuted, they go back to the place where their community is. Don't miss this. We all need community. They go back to the community. They go back to the church. And immediately when they get back to the church, they start telling them about all that happened and, 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 and what's going on and how they're persecuting. And it says the church, I love the wording, that they immediately started to pray. They didn't pray for safety. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness. That in the face of persecution, they would continue to share the name of Jesus. That people would continue to be saved. And the kingdom of God advances. This all brings us to where we are in the passage. The text starts in verse 32. And it says that the people were of one heart and of one soul. And nobody said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Everyone say common common. Now, hear me, because sometimes we read this, and, and people in the modern era, they read this, and they're like, that's kind of weird. Is this some kind of communistic scheme or the beginning of early communism where property that people owned was publicly owned and everybody worked and was paid according to their abilities and their needs? Hear me. That couldn't be further away from the truth. That's clearly not the case. Two things we see in this text here that happen also in chapter 2. Number one, hear me. You see this wording all common. That's here and this in chapter 2. Number one, the giving was voluntary which means that it wasn't compelled by the government. They did this because of all the things that have happened in their life and the goodness of Jesus on their behalf. And number two, don't miss this, people still had personal possessions. They still had their homes. You see this in the passage. They're meeting in somebody's house. You see this in chapter 4 and in chapter 2. Do not miss this. Many Christians, even though they gave sacrificially and willingly, still own things. They still own their homes. Hear me with this. Giving to the church and being generous, I don't want y'all to miss this, does not mean that you shouldn't have nice things. I got one amen. Giving and being generous does not mean that you shouldn't own a house and you need to give all your money to the church. I know y'all see that all over TV and you can get a prayer rug and all this stuff if you give to this. Y'all, that's not, that's not what's happening here. And this is important because being a Christian 
doesn't mean that you need to live life way beneath your means or the pastor needs to be poor driving a 1989 Corolla this hoopty and, and got rags on because he lives for Jesus. That's not Bible. If you pick up the scripture and we walk through it, I would show you in the Bible that some of the, 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 the Christians that have followed Jesus throughout the scripture or followed God throughout the scripture have been some of the wealthiest people in all of human history. Solomon, wealthiest man who ever walked this earth. King David, Joseph, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. My man had it all. He had status and everything. And he says, I count it all as rubbish in Philippians. But hear me, he doesn't necessarily get rid of everything. He says, I just count it all as rubbish. You know how I know this is true? Because in 1 Corinthians, he then uses his status to cross lines with people in order to meet them with the gospel. So being wealthy and having things is not necessarily a bad thing. Hear me. If you're a Christian and you think that being poor is part of Christianity, that is not the truth. That's called poverty gospel. That couldn't be further away from what the Bible actually says. It's not money that's the problem. Scripture says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Now, on the other hand, though, that also doesn't mean that you need to be out here living your life only to get money. Out here singing songs like, she see money all around me, look like I'm the man. I mean, no. I got racks on racks on racks and stacks, bump cents, that pastor, I got dollars. No. That's called prosperity gospel. Well, we serve Jesus so he can just rain down blessings. I'm going to get my blessings. I'm naming it. And I'm call No. No, that's not gospel either. So you're asking, well, Pastor D, what is it? If it's not poor. If it's not being poverty, if it's not being prosperous, but what is it? Hear me. It's about how you manage and steward what God has given you. It's about stewardship. Glorifying God with how you manage your resources. We're going to get to that a bit later, but that's really what this text is emphasizing here when it says that they had all things in common. They shared what they had. This word common, don't miss this, means that being poor and being a part of the local church did not go together. Y'all don't believe me. It says that there was not a needy person in the text, which meant being poor and being a part of the church did not coexist. The two did not and should not go together. Follow me. What the text is telling us that is that the body of Christ took care of one another. It meant that when people had a need, their needs were met by the body of Christ, the local body. And I, and I love it because throughout this pandemic, you all have been just that for one another. Needs have been met within this church because of who you are, and we've been the church. That's what we see in Acts chapter 4. Everyone's needs were met because they had all things in common. They gave sacrificially and willing. Now, I know, I know, y'all sitting here saying, well, Pastor D, I'm still stuck on the fact that these people were selling homes 
And they're, they're giving it away. They're giving the proceeds away. They're doing all these different things, which, hear me, it leads to the second point because this is sacrificial giving. This is a willing type of giving. This comes as a result of understanding who Christ is and what he's done for you in your life. This is an over and above your 10% giving to the church. This is not mandatory. This is sacrificial and willing. There's a difference there. We know this because if you flip to chapter 5, right after this text, you go to chapter 5, you see, you read about Ananias and Sapphira. When they sold a piece of their land, they come to the apostles and they say that they're giving all the proceeds to the apostles, but in fact, they hold back a little bit of what they have. They don't give all of it to him, but they say that they're giving it all to him. They lied about giving the proceeds, and when they lied, they actually died. Now, hear me. Y'all missed it. It wasn't that they died. They didn't die because they had to sell the land, and with that, they didn't give all of it away. They only gave a portion of it away. No, they died because they lied about what they were giving. Follow me. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4 reads this way. Peter said, and I love this because I try to imagine how Peter's talking to Ananias. Ananias, my man. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Look at the words. Peter, Peter says, while it was unsold, wasn't it all yours? Basically saying, you didn't have to sell it if you didn't want to sell it. Then he goes on and he says, well, when you sold it, weren't the proceeds all at your disposal? Meaning, you could have kept some if you wanted to. But instead, you, you, you tried to look good. And you lied about it. And you didn't lie to me, but you lied to God. Come on, Ananias. And and see, there's a word for us right there, which is, is, hear me, don't just appear to be the generous Christian. Mm. Don't just look like a generous Christian. In other words, let your words match your deeds. And see, and I, I I I may stack on some toes with this one a little bit, but... And I may get in trouble. Some of y'all might not like this. But most of the time, the people that complain the most in church, the ones that have a say about everything and don't like this, don't like that, are the ones that give the least. They're the ones that don't serve. They're not plugged in. Because biblically, when you look at the Bible, the biggest givers of their lives, hear me, I'm not just talking about money. Biggest givers of their lives and their treasure are the most unassuming people. In the church, the biggest givers are the most unassuming because their giving, watch this, isn't about them, but instead it's about glorifying God. It's not about saying, look what I did. It's about glorifying God. Biblically, you see this. The biggest givers are the most unassuming. You look at the life of Jesus, and you look at his lineage, and you look at 
who he, where he came from. And we talked about this in December in the, in the Advent series. You look at Jesus' lineage, and you're like, man, there was a prostitute in that lineage. There were adulterers and murderers and killers and liars and cheaters. Ain't no way Jesus came from that lineage. Isaiah 53 says that there was nothing about, majestic about him when you looked at him. Jesus, they say, came from Nazareth, the most unassuming place. They said nothing good could come from there. So hear me, our Savior, the one we put our faith in, Jesus Christ, came from one of the most unassuming lineages. He didn't look good, and he also came from a place that people thought nothing could good, good could come from. But he gave the most unassuming. And all throughout Scripture in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is always saying, this ain't about me, but I do this to glorify my Father. Point being, family, hear me. When giving, let your deed match your words. Again, Ananias and Sapphira, they died not because they had to sell the land. They had to give it up. They died because they lied. They lied about what they were giving. And all that I'm saying here, family, the broader point is when you're giving, make sure that you give in a way that's willing and sacrificial. And with all of that, hear this. And I got to say this in today and age, in our day and age, is because when you give of your money, that is not the same as you serving. Okay, sometimes we say, well, I'm serving here, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, so I don't necessarily need to give. That's not the same thing. That's like me taking my kids out all day long, and then I don't feed them. That, that would make me a, a really bad parent. I'm not providing anything for them. And I have to say this, it's funny, but it, the reality is some of us think this way. I'm serving, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to give my money. I'm cool. Well, here's the reality. We're going to keep on serving in this church, and all of us going to serve. And at the end of the day, there ain't going to be no church to serve because we can't afford it. What I'm trying to tell you, whatever you do, let your giving be willing and sacrificial. Give of your time, talent, and your treasure. Amen? Amen. Now with that comes the part of the scripture, and even I'm pretty sure when I said that last point, some of y'all are like, oh, I don't know about that one, Pastor. The text says when the people gave of their proceeds, they laid it not in a bank account, not on their mattress, but instead at the apostles' feet. In essence, this is what this means. They trusted the leadership to disperse it in a way that would meet the needs of the people, that would allow the church to go forth. Everyone's needs would be met. But see, if we're honest, that's problematic for us. That's a problem because most of us, if we're honest, the only ones we trust with our money and not God is us. And so when we give to the church, we do everything else we need to do for us, and then we give the leftovers to the church. That's all I have. Or we don't manage it well, and then that's what we give at the end. That's all we got left. Let's be honest a bit. Now, I know, I'm going to be honest, I know that some of you have been a part of a church or you've heard stories where the pastor or people have misappropriated funds. They bought jets and all kind of crazy stuff. 
And hear me when I say this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this has happened within churches and it still happens around the world. That's not right. But I will say this. God knows your heart. So don't let someone else's actions deter you from serving the Lord well. That just doesn't go forgiving. That's whatever you do in your life. Serve the Lord well regardless of what other people do or say. The scriptures command us to give a tithe. That's 10% of your salary. First fruits. The New Testament says cheerful and willing. That means giving away that you just got to laugh about it because it's crazy. And on top of that, hear me, when pastors and leaders of the church misappropriate funds and they do crazy stuff with the funds, even though we might have stuff to say and they may have to deal with the law, ultimately they have to stand face to face with God. And that's far more worse than anything we can do or the account for how I led this. I have to stand before God and give account for how I led this church. That's far more worse than what anyone else can do. So hear me, when you give to the church, trust God with the leaders. Trust them. And if you cannot trust the church that you're a part of, because I know some of you aren't necessarily a part or really plugged in yet, maybe there's another body. If you cannot trust the church that you're a part of and the leadership there, to give, and maybe that's not the church for you. See, the church in itself, it's like an engine that needs to keep running. It's like a bus, and when, you, when, you, when you're a part of the church, you don't want to just get on the bus and, and take a seat and start weighing that thing down and not contributing to it. Put some gas in it. Be a part of the work. And see, when the church keeps going and you, you're a part of something, you want to be able to give willingly and freely to it and watch what happens and how it flourishes because of your giving, your time, your talent, and your treasures. And see what God can do in and through not only your work, but through the whole body. See, the church flourishes when we all give and we plug in. But on the contrary, the church nor the people flourish, or you, when we try to do things on our own. It says the people in the text, they gave willingly and the apostles distributed to all who had needs. Y'all, this is why churches have benevolence funds. We have missions budgets. But when people don't give, we can't go and have a missions fund. We can't have a benevolence fund. Hear me. I don't care how much money you make or anybody else in here or how much you do. The reality is that you will never be able to outgive or outdo the church because you by yourself are just one person. But when we all come together and we all give, just imagine what we can do as a church. Just imagine how this city can be changed. When we give and we trust the leadership, the church flourishes, the poor are cared for, the kingdom advances. And that has happened a lot throughout this last year. So praise God. Y'all, this is exactly what we see in the local church. They trusted their leaders. They gave sacrificially and willing, and the body was taken care of. But hear me, as I get ready to end, all of this, none of this matters if we don't understand biblical stewardship. Now, I don't have time to tackle biblical stewardship in a full sense, but let me give you an understanding because it doesn't just deal with your money. 
hear this. It, it doesn't just deal with your money. Biblical stewardship deals with your faith. It deals with work. It deals with economics. It, it deals with time, etc. Because the fundamental principle, watch this, with understanding biblical stewardship is that nothing we have is ours, but it all belongs to God. We've just been given the gifts that we have in order to steward them well. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way. Look at this quote. He says, I love this. He says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your life, your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his already. Think about it. We can't outgive God. We can't outdo God. That's not the mission because he owns everything. He's given us all that we have. That job you have, that family you have, the house, all of that's been given to you by God. You didn't earn that by yourself. So we're to steward. In other words, we're to supervise over or to amplify. If you've ever read the parable of the talents, that's why he gives them talents. And they're to amplify. They're to grow it. That's stewardship. So, so here's a practical way to understand biblical stewardship. And I've talked about this before. Some of you have actually sat down with me and done this. A, a, a very practical way to understand biblical stewardship is the budget. How many of you got a budget? You should be proud of that. Come on now. Amen. Some of y'all are like, ah, I got a budget. Hey, I think I do. And when I say budget, I, I'm not just talking about that you, you know you have bills and you know you have a certain amount of money coming in. I mean, you literally spend the money on paper before the dollars come in. See, a lot of why we don't truly give is because we don't really know how to budget. We live check to check, and we feel as if we don't even have money sometimes. And you know why? Because our money is really ruling us instead of us ruling our money. We don't know where our money is, is going, therefore we never have enough of it. So when we get more money, we end up just spending more money on different things and we still are in the same boat because more money doesn't, doesn't solve problems. More money, more problems. Amen. And so let me, let me be real honest and vulnerable at what my wife and I do, and, and I'm not telling you this to say we got it all together, but... I don't want to just preach something. I want to tell you what we practice. My wife and I, every month, uh, we have what I like to call the money meeting. It's a budget meeting. We have it every month uh, before our first paychecks come in. And we look at our budget and our spending, and we see if it needs to be adjusted. Uh, we literally have everything that we spend in a month on a spreadsheet, cash flow plan like our clothes, our, our groceries, uh, anything that has to do with our house eat out, and we allocate the checks as they come in. Follow me with this. And we spend the money on paper before we actually get the money in hand. So if we need $200 for gas between the two of us, we put that on paper, we spend it there. So when the money comes in, we allocate it and put it straight towards that budget line item. It goes to the right places when it comes in. Each month, we look at our spending, and we come back to the budget, and we say, okay, well, we maybe need to raise this up a little bit, or we could take this down a little bit in, in this area or this category. We do that every month. Now, hear me. 
with the budget, we start with giving 10% to God. 10% off tops goes to God. Then 10% comes to us. Now, that may go into an emergency fund, some kind of savings account or mutual fund, something of that nature. We don't use credit cards for emergencies. That is not the right thing to do. Credit cards, if you ain't got the money, do not use a credit card. Just going to tell you that one. So 10% to God, 10%, that's 10% to the church, 10% to the church, 10% to us, and then the other 80%, if y'all mathematicians in here, goes to the rest of the budget, other things that we need to spend. Now, if we come back to the budget and we're like, okay, we gave 10% here, we gave 10% to us, and now uh, we only spent 70% of the rest, so we still got an extra 10%, then we come back and that's where we become very generous, where it's, whether it's an offering or we're giving to somebody else, we come back to that and we say, okay, now we can give more away, which is where we aspire. We want to give more money away. We want to be generous because we know what has been given to us. So follow me again, 10% to God, that's the local church, and then 10% to us, some kind of savings, some type of retirement, something like that once we got our emergency up, and then 80% to the rest. We do that every month. We do this off of gross when we give to God. I, I give 10% off of gross. Some of y'all may do adjusted. Look, government ain't adjusting nothing. I'm not adjusting it when I give it to God, okay? Y'all do what you want to do. I don't think there's some, that's great. But I, I choose to do 10% off tops. And see, the reason we do this, it's not because we have it all together or anything like that. It's just, I believe, biblically, God has called us to be good stewards of what we have. And I know some of y'all looking at me like, Pastor D, I'm a student. I don't have that much money. Hear me. I started doing this when I was 19. 19 years old. From Gary, Indiana. I didn't have money. I was working at Dick's Sporting Goods. Y'all know what Dick's Sporting Goods is? Some of y'all old heads know it used to be galleons. Y'all don't even know what that is. I mean... We, I used to work at Dick's Sporting Goods, and, and I, was, I was budgeting, and it was, it was changing my life. And then I met my wife. We started dating, and, and at 21, we went through it. Right before we got married, we went through it. At 21, we was broke. We didn't have any money, broke college students. And a baby on the way. We were on Medicaid. We had WIC, but hear this. We never had one bill that wasn't paid. We never skipped a tithe. Every need was always met. We didn't, meet, we didn't miss a meal. You know why? Because we controlled our money. It didn't control us. Amen. We believed in biblical stewardship. I, I love what Dave Ramsey says, financial piece. He says it this way. This is an awesome quote. He says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it is, where it went. Y'all think about that. Some of y'all get that on your ride home. Hear me. Budgeting and giving money away, don't miss this, it should not feel like a burden. It shouldn't feel like a task. It should feel freeing. It should, it should feel empowering. It should feel good. That's what good stewardship does, where you can give freely of your life. Friends, hear me. If you need help with this, I, I, I strongly encourage. Jump in our financial peace class. is coming up uh, soon here in the next month or so. Make sure to sign up. And hear me, it does cost a little bit. So if you need help with it, you talk to me, okay? I, I want to make sure that we know how to manage our resources, know how to steward our resources well as a church. 
This isn't just about you going out and preaching the gospel. You've got to be able to manage your resources well. People look at the church and they're saying, what are you doing? How are you leading well? You want to lead well in all facets of life. Amen? Amen. And this is one of those things. I did it again when I was 19, and I tell you, that was before I was married. I was single. So all my single folks in here, jump into class, learn how to manage your money well before you get married. It changed my life to where now I'm financially freer than most of the people I know my age without debt other than my house. And I don't say that to brag. That's what biblical stewardship does, managing your resources. Family, my point in all of this as we close is that biblical stewardship with your money is extremely important because, again, it's not yours. It's God's. We can't take it with us. So manage it well while you have it. In all that I've said today, my hope and my prayer is for our church is that we would always be known as a generous church. A church where everyone's needs are met within the body. A church where we give willingly and sacrificially. A church where we trust our leadership. A church where when we do all these things and we give, we can dream and we can imagine of what a different Chicago would look like with a church on the move. Where we'd see not only the work stop here in Chicago, but when you do things in Chicago, how many of you know that everything that happens in here trickles down into the Midwest? So we can see not only a Chicago changed, but we can see a Midwest change and ultimately the nation and the world. Look, when you read the Bible and Acts, I said it earlier, they started with 12, went to 120. They kept giving. They kept serving. It went to 3,000. It went to 5,000. And then there were churches all over the world because they gave willingly. And the reason they gave is because of all that Jesus gave up on their behalf. So for you, that may mean that today is the day you start to give. For some of you, you've been doing that. It's time to trust God, and I'm going to do my tithe here in 2022. I'm going to do that. Some of you, it's more than that, and I'm going to give over and above that. Some of you have been doing all of that, but you're not serving. And it's time to jump in. It's time to lead. However God is speaking to you right now, listen and hear me. Let's all be committed to generosity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're awesome. You're a good God. God, I do ask that we be a people that's generous because of how generous you've been to us. That we wouldn't do it begrudgingly, giving of our lives and the resources we have. But we give because you gave first. You love first. pray for the person that may be having trouble with this, maybe struggling with giving period or struggling with their own finances. One, that they would trust you with it, but also that they would communicate to the body and allow the body to come alongside them and help them. That's what the church does. God, I do my prayer for renewal since the beginning is that we'd be a generous church on all different levels, and it's still the same prayer today. May you be lifted up in all we say and do. 
get glory in our lives, Lord Jesus. And it's your name we pray all these things. Everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.